Patel. I am so thrilled today to talk to someone who has written a story that really touched me and um, which is kind of hard to do because it's a physical story, but it was it was phenomenal. And I, I, I tell you, I've listened to many playwrights and many different stories in my life. And when I heard this one, and I just shared this with her before we started our conversation today. And it's one of the few things that I felt like afterwards, I felt the emotionality of it come through. So I am so excited to have Laura Fitzenmayer, Mayor, with us today. Hey, Laura, how are you? Good job with the name. Good job with the name. <laughs> Yes. I, you know, I practiced it a couple of times beforehand. And then as I was saying, I was like, oh, my gosh, is, are you saying the one you practice or are you saying the one that's actually the right thing? You, so, did, so. you, did, you did fine. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's often humorous. I'll be in the doctor's office and uh, they'll go, Mr. Brown. They'll call them back, Mr. Uh, Jones. And then they call me and they say, Laura. <laughs> they don't want they, they don't want to attend that is awesome <laughs> you know, i am sure at some point you get a lot of laura peas <laughs> like yes kind of yes, yes. but I, I don't mind as i tell people i had to love my husband a lot to take that last name <laughs> that is for sure i i had a colleague that i worked with um many many years ago and her name was fitzinger with same P F at the beginning, F is I Z. Fitzinger. And well, I, know, I, as I said, everybody needs a Z in there. <laughs> That's right. I was we were talking about this before the show began, everyone. And I was saying to myself, how can I incorporate a Z into my name? And Laura told me my name is okay because I got two W's in it. So I thought that, that was okay. Um, well, so my, Laura name is as is as unique as I am. That's yes, yes. I, I tell people all the time, I don't need a pseudonym if I don't need one. or I don't need, I've got it all figured out. So I, I heard about Laura's play, and we're going to talk about this through a group that um, we both have affiliation with called Millie Writers. And it's a group here in Atlanta where we get together many awesome writers. It's led by Joni McElroy and uh, Dan Guyton and, and others. And it's just a great forum for writers to talk about their story, but also share stories. We do a lot of great table reads and a lot of full productions. And I was so fortunate, you know, because sometimes I can't join all of those. And I was so oh, thankful that I was able to join Laura's. Um, her, when I first heard the name of it, I was like, that's very provocative. But then <laughs> as I got through it, I was like, that is a, that is so appropriate for many of us. And so um, this is the story. This is the name of the story. So as we go through it, Laura, I'm going to obviously ask you to talk more about it. But usually when we kick off this conversation, we always talk about what are some of the tools that we are creatives use in our day-to-day -day work. And so it that ranges, ranges the gamut from you know, writing it down on a notebook to people using some sophisticated kind of software. And so I wanted you to maybe tell the audience here, and thank you, those who join the Creativity Cocktail, those who follow us, our, our membership is growing. We're starting to get entrails into YouTube, so please subscribe to our YouTube because we just kicked off YouTube. And so we want to keep that going. But 
having people listen to us all over the world has been awesome. So share with us some of the tools that you use when you're ready to get into the creative space. You're ready to start writing today. Today is the day I'm going to spend an hour writing. What is no, that's the first with? mistake you make. It's like <laughs> it's going to be an hour, okay? Uh, for me, at least, I'm going to I'm going to tell a really simple one, okay? I'm a list maker. All right, every day, and I include everything on it from uh, breakfast, okay, to uh, praying, and that you know what's always on that list five days a week. I'm off on the weekends. Five days a week is write. And some days it's do rewrites. Uh, and I commit, because it's a realistic chunk of time for me, 20 minutes. That's I awesome. say, I'm going to write for 20 minutes. Now, if it flows over, that's cool. But it can't be less. Yeah. You, know what I, you know what I do that's similar to that is I write, I put down in my planner because I'm a productivity person and I put down in my planner to just write three pages. Exactly. exactly. Sometimes though, my 20 minutes, it, it, it could be five pages if it's really rolling, but then some days it can be just, it'll be a page. Okay. Because yeah. it's a tough page. It's a tough scene. Uh, but I, I also give myself permission and you know, that's okay. Yeah. And, um, uh, I'm not a clock watcher, but I do use an old-fashioned egg timer, okay? You're oh, not cool. an egg timer, but those ones that with the dial that turns, I should have put it up here so you can see it. And I said it. I, I exercise for 20 minutes, and then I set my egg timer for 20 minutes of writing. That's and, awesome. And when you, when you make it part of your routine, you tend to do it more consistently. Yeah. I talk to if people all the time. Or anything, any other things. Yeah, I talk to people all the time about this book I read uh, probably a couple of years ago called um, Atomic Habits by a gentleman named James Clear. And what he means by atomic habits is he means breaking them down like you just did into those smaller morsels that every single day uh, that they can get done. You know, mathematically, I, I, do I write three pages a day? No. But some days I write one. Some days I'm like what you said, I write five. And the math works in my favor. If I do that consistently, I got to play at some point. <laughs> at some point. It's amazing, written. isn't it? Yes. <laughs> yeah. and, and I also, and I think lots of playwrights do this. I think about the play a lot. Okay. Yeah. I think about it in the, I do some of my best writing in the shower. <laughs> Yes, yeah. yes, I know what you mean. Yes, or when you take, or when you're taking a walk or something like yes, that. Yes, right. and I, I walk. I walk to. That's also on my list. And I, I'm 66 years old. I'm not a kid, uh, but I'm one of. The, I am a productive and active person, and I and I have tried over the course of my life to develop these habits so that I can be, so I can get as much done as feasibly possible. And it makes and it gives me a sense of control. But as we all know, control is just an illusion. But it gives me a sense of control over what's going to happen with the day. Yeah, and that, even when I had cancer, I was writing. I didn't start the cancer play though until, I, as I, you know, I knew I wanted to write it, but I said I'm not going to write it till I get my happy ending, till I ring the bell. And I didn't even start it then. I had to still let it process and. 
that's what I wrote during the pandemic. Yeah, I tell you, the writing when you're going through something is really um, amazing. It is. Yeah, you know, I, I shared recently. Everyone knows this, hopefully by now, about my my own personal battle with multiple sclerosis. And and I had to tell you that whole thing I just talked about in regards to my routine and how that works for about a month and a half. I just stopped it. I just said, you know what? I got to feel what's going on with me. What is the signal that the universe is telling me about this? What is it? And it, yes. and it told me to tell me, keep going, keep doing what you're doing. And just like what but you had to come back to it. That's and right. You, you had to come back to it and you had to be in a mental place to be able to come back to it. It's not always easy. It's it, not it, always it's easy. Not. But what I did during when I was sick, when I was going through chemo and radiation was I wrote silly, goofy plays. I wrote a play called The Used Unicorn Lot. Uh, uh, I guess my daughter was telling me about what a hard time she was having. She said, I'm looking for a unicorn because she's not in a relationship and she would like to be in a relationship. So I had Uh, and she said, I'm looking for a unicorn. And, you know, I played off of that. And it's a funny little play. I wrote a play about Thumbelina goes to the beach. Okay. I, I wrote things that would just make me laugh because laughing is wonderful medicine. Yeah. We talked about this before we went live. And we talked about how when we're writing and when we're creating, whatever you whatever your creativity is, you're, you're you're accessing your spiritual self. Exactly. Yeah, and I share this a lot because it's kind of this kind of war on creativity. It's not a. It's like a silent war. It's like you know, don't be creative. Do this or learn. Job. It. You need a job, and you need That's to right. make money. And it's what we tell our kids, which yes. is magic. Now. Today, later, I have, I, I'm visiting in New Jersey right now with our son who has four kids. His, one of his sons, who is a great soccer player, but has embraced his creative side and he plays the piano like an angel. Wow. Okay. And we're going, he goes to this ball they have up here and there's a piano and anybody can go and play it for tips. So we're going to go watch him play the piano at this mall today and that stirs my creativity seeing to see my grandchild doing this my soul my spirit source my spirit source i I always have this belief that when when you go there and your grandson is playing the piano the energy of him playing the piano is going to affect like everybody around there yes Hmm? yes Absolutely. They may not feel it directly, but it's going to ha- it's going to resonate with them on some level. I know. And uh, he's he's just sixteen. Okay. And and the fact is, playing the piano is not the coolest activity for most sixteen year olds. And his older brother, uh, we came up a couple of years ago, and he had a lead in, in an original play they did up here. Oh wow. And he was wonderful. Now he's not really pursuing it right now, but when when he's ready, but he was he was wonderful in it. And uh, I hope that some of my creativity and talent has flowed down 
down to this next generation. Wow. That's a wonderful, wonderful story. It make me it makes me think about when I was a kid and my mom is a dressmaker, but she would do these wonderful pieces of art where she would draw out the dress that she was conceiving of doing. And I used to always say to her, I said, Mom, you are a great artist. She's like, No, I'm just doing this for work. <laughs> <laughs> it's not really art. <laughs> it's just work stuff. Well, you know, what do you mean? And I'm saying to myself, my gosh, you just drew this out of thin air. I just was doing this for work. And I was saying, Mom, you got to tap into that. But I never forgot that lesson about how creativity can connect the dots on that. I so, know. It's kind of sad, isn't it? Yeah. Um, my, my, I, I love my parents very much and they loved me. My mother was from Connecticut and my father was from uh, Alabama. And I was raised in Alabama, raised in Birmingham. And I'm one of five. And I had a younger brother who was a wonderful artist, but he never pursued it. He paints cars, which is okay. That That's fine. But, and they all, I've been doing this. I, I know I wanted to be a writer when I was a kid. I mean, like in the seventh grade, that's what I wanted to be. And they always looked at me like, where did this child come from? Did she land from outer space? Did we get the wrong baby? <laughs> okay. You know, I had a desk in my room and an old manual typewriter. And I would be pounding things out. And yeah, I, yeah. I think yeah. there's this war that goes on or this mental gymnastics with us and even with our predecessors, our family, our parents and grandparents. Like my parents came from Jamaica. And they, you know, so there's shelter and food and all of those things. And as that's, well, those are the priorities. That's know? right. With a hierarchy of needs. And so when it came to the United States, you know, then we got to that top of the pyramid, that, that self-actualization thing that Aslov talks about. And I tell my son and you probably grandson is that, you know, we're not really here for ourselves at this point. We're here to make sure that you can do what you want to do whenever you want to do it. And, exactly. And that, yeah. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I have 14 grandchildren. My children oh, are wow. very productive. And uh, That's awesome. <laughs> each, each of them, I, I have a, a granddaughter who's a nurse, but who also paints and does uh, ceramics. I in my office, I'm surrounded by these things that have been given to me. You know, art, artistic things, that, and it's like they have an energy that feeds me. Okay, right, and that's what I write, and and I can, if I get stuck, I stick my head up and 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 look at at the beautiful blue vase she made, or the uh, uh, she did a a. a lovely little, just like a, a little painting of uh, one of my favorite uh, Bible verses, which is uh, the eagle's wings one. Right. You know, lift you up on yeah. eagles, which is a great one for a writer. Okay. Because, I, you know, when, when it's really flowing, I feel like I'm right on those eagle's wings. <laughs> you know, one of the things that's inspiring about you um, is that a lot of people that I know they, you know, a lot of people love this channel all over the world and all of the channels that we do. One of the things I hear a lot from people in my age group is that they have stopped 
whatever they decided that they loved in their life at you know whatever point it was, they're now saying, let me let me run out the clock. Let me now think about things like what I'm gonna do when I'm not doing my day job. And and it's not creative stuff. And it's just like, let me just you know, like every time someone says, well, What are you gonna do when you retire? I'm like, what the heck are you talking about? I'm not retiring. <laughs> That's right. I, I'm not. Uh here's here's another little wrinkle in my story. Uh this is I'm in a second marriage, a very happy second marriage. In my first marriage, I was happy and I stopped writing. And there was like a gap of 20 years and I didn't write and and uh I was I was an unhappy person. Okay. After I divorced and made the change in my life, I started and, and married my husband and reclaimed myself. I said, nobody's going to make me stop writing until I can't write anymore. Yes. And that better not happen for a while yet. <laughs> and I have, I've been writing now for about 25 years doing the plays and I will never be, uh, Lynn Manuel Miranda, not going to happen. And I'm, and I'm okay with that. But I've had some shows go off, off Broadway. And, and uh, I have shows all over the country. Hey, I had a play on NPR. That's wonderful. Uh, wow. So I know. And it, I, no, and that's a real, if you like the cancer play, you would love this play. It's called Candy Bar Memories. My mother had Alzheimer's. As I said, I, I write my pain. Right. And I decided I needed to write after she passed away. I needed to honor her and to honor all those people with Alzheimer's. And so I wrote this play. And the premise is when you have Alzheimer's and you die and go to heaven, God has saved all your memories in a candy bar. And you and you regain your memories as you eat the candy bar. One square. Oh, wow. And the good, but it's the good and the bad. And uh, uh, I really, boy, it was cathartic because it's like life is a quilt, okay? And you can't understand the pattern if you look at one side of it. It just, it just looks random. And but, but if you flip it over, it all makes sense. It makes a beautiful pattern. And that's how life is. And as she, as she says, because at the end, when she's down to one square, her husband, who had preceded her in death, is waiting there for her with her candy bar. And uh, she's getting down to the last square. And she knows she's going to remember the Alzheimer's and how bad it was. And he said, well, some people can't take all the memories of their life. So we have another bar for them. It's called the balm of forgetfulness. And you can eat this and you'll just be happy and you don't have to remember any of the bad things. Wow. And she says to her husband, will I remember you? She said, he said, no. Then she said, I'm going to eat the candy bar and I will, I will take all the pain. And uh, everybody, we, ha we thought about having a Kleenex concession uh, at that play <laughs> because it, it was, it was sad, but it was funny and it was happy and it was sad because anybody who has had a parent or anyone in their life with dementia or Alzheimer's, it's it's a devastating disease. 
is uh, my gosh I, we'll, we'll put a link to that in the final edits of the show okay. um, yeah we were just talking about creativity in our spirit and what you just shared there i don't i it sounds like there are many people who got a chance to witness that story. they did and that play has been done a lot yeah. And it's an easy play to, to stage. It's an easy play to um, uh, produce, you know. And uh, it's also uh, a good play uh, for seniors, okay? Because, it, and it's it was it's been done as a fundraiser for the Alzheimer's Society. It's been done at the at some state conventions of the Alzheimer's Society. So it, it's it's. Again, I write my pain. Uh, yeah. and, and I, I the, just think about the lives of all the people who've seen that or witnessed that play. I know. Yeah, that have been transformed even just a little bit. Isn't that like what we do as writers and creators? Oh, I hope that's what we're doing. That's just what I'm trying bit. to do. Just a I little bit. Just, just tiny bits, okay? Just a tiny bit. Every good show, every good television show or theater show that you go to it, it it changes your life i think i hope it does yeah i hope it does that's why that's why i'm a little bit i that's why i've become an advocate in regards to this war against it where we're like oh there we're not we're not as those people aren't essential for what they do we're not we're that's that's right cutting the art education monies for schools you know the, yeah, the writing yeah, it, 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 I a, yeah, I was going to say I had a good friend who was an advocate for Fulton County here in Georgia. Yes, and um, she shared that she's been fighting for years. There was there's a one percent allocation supposedly um, in volume or in revenue associated with the arts, but of that one percent, eighty five percent of it goes to like one or two institutions. Where is there so many others? And I was relating the story to her like when I was a kid. I remember the story so clearly when I was in the ninth grade. They wanted school, ninth, ninth grade, fourth grade. I was nine years old. And they gave everybody an instrument. They just gave everyone an instrument. On yeah. And I'm not saying that that will ever go back to that. But yeah. all of those people, all of those kids who were in music at that point, I wonder their lives got affected by having a getting to pick an instrument and learning an instrument day one. And so much of that's being eliminated. Yes. Especially in grammar schools. Now I have another granddaughter named Lulu, who uh, Louise Grace, but we call her Lulu, who is amazingly creative and Fortunately, she's still up in Birmingham, and uh, she uh, got an award for. And she's she's your age. She was your age. She's nine years old, and mm -hmm. she was in fourth grade. And she won an award for uh, her presenting a monologue that she chose, and they videoed it, and you know, um, sent it out to the world. And I'm like. Uh, this is fantastic. That is we had no, huh? That is amazing. I know, and uh, she also is very artistic. And uh, like I said, I hope if I did anything with my genetic material that I sent on to them, they got some <laughs> of the creative stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is so powerful. Uh, uh, 
you know, this yeah. conversation is is wonderful because those of you who are listening to us today, there's lots of people who are creative that listen to this podcast. I hope they are. Yeah, but you know, but those of you who are listening to us at the for the first time ever, and you're like, who, what are these guys talking about? <laughs> like, why are they, they? Why are they there? We created this because we were going through things personally. Many of us, as part of this, that we saw that creativity is a way for us to kind of combat personal challenges. Yes. And so I, I always share the story that I, I was so sick and tired of losing people in my life who are creative, and I don't find out until after they're gone. It was like, it was really grating on me, to say the least. Giving me nuts. Sorry about Somebody that. needs you. That's my iPad ringing at me. But and and it was really grating me, like because I'm saying to myself, why do I? Why do we know about this now? Why didn't we know about it before? Right. Why didn't we know about it? If we would have had a chance to encourage he or she, and say, "Hey, keep writing your poetry," even if nobody reads it, write yeah. it. Write it for yourself. Right. Recite it to the moon if you need to. Yeah. And this this really hit home for me. And I tell the stories. For those of you who've listened to this podcast, you probably heard this story before. But I had a reading of my play at the Mar one of my plays at the Marietta New Theater in the Square. And so um, I was so fortunate they allowed me to do a reading at an actual theater. That was so wonderful. And this was, must have been about 2015 or something. And this young man comes to me. He was taller than me. He was much taller than me, but you know, you can see a young man who's got a face of a baby. <laughs> he's yeah. got this tiny face and this baby face, even though he's six foot something. And then he says to me, he's like, Mr. Wilson, thank you for doing this story. This has allowed me to know that I can create my stuff. I didn't know whether I should keep writing or keep making stories or that kind of thing. And I'm so glad that I came today. I am telling you, Laura, when I heard that story, I was like, I don't care how many people love what I do. That story enough was enough for me to, to say, this, this has value. This, it this does has, have value. Yes. And we, we need to value it ourselves. That's right. Yeah. Okay. And, 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 not, and not demean what we do and make it a, not a priority. Which is what often happens with when life gets in the way. Yeah. I love the story, the way you shared that when you're going through things, that fuels even further your writing, your habit of writing. It yes. doesn't it doesn't diminish it. It oh. puts, pours gasoline on it. <laughs> That's right. Because how else can I deal? How else, you know, it's how I process, okay? Yeah. Writing is how I process things in my life. And it's funny because I don't write tragedies. You know, I write comedies. Uh, but they're never, and I, 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 I know they're very popular. I don't really like most television sitcom kind of comedy. That's not my thing, okay? Uh, I, like, I like my characters to be real people who have real stuff happening to them. They just happen to say funny things. Yeah, I love that. You know, and that's what I got from your from your story. Um, that it wasn't a comedy per se. 
Because the people have asked me to write comedy. I was like, can you like purposeful comedy? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> a story that has some comedy in it. Because I can do that all day long. Um, and that's what I really loved about this. So tell us a little bit about uh, Cancer is a Pain in My Ass. Tell us a little bit about that story. Uh, well, uh, in 2018, uh, I was diagnosed with anal cancer, which... You know, you think to yourself, anal cancer, really? And it's, it's kind of a rare cancer. Only about uh, 8,000 people a year get the cancer. Uh, I have rheumatoid arthritis, which I've had for a long time. Oh. But you know all those wonderful commercials you see for uh, Humira and Remicade, and the last thing they say at the end is, and in certain rare cases, can cause cancer. Well, I was on Remicade, and guess what happened? I was the certain rare case. Okay. Uh, I went through chemo and radiation. I did not. There it is. That's There's my poster. Uh, I went through chemo and radiation, and I got to ring the bell. I did not write the play while the cancer was going on. I said, I can't write the play until I get my happy ending. And the pandemic was perfect for this because we were kind of, you know like everybody else we were kind of stuck at home and I am fortunate not only do I have my granddaughter's artwork around me I have uh, a window with bird feeders and I can look out of that window and it's right in front of my desk so I can look out the window and think and watch that and so I started writing and plugging along plugging along and it took me most of the pandemic but I finished it and that was a good feeling that the feeling of finishing that play was right up there with ringing the bell at the end of my treatment wow. okay and about the same time I had a little twist in my life um I, I have to go every three months with the can you still have to go back for years after you been cleared of cancer and I went back to Dr. Grimm like I said this play I didn't it, it was very little I had to write this, <laughs> this this was like my god this is like a play anyway I went back to Dr. Grimm and uh, he said I had a new lesion and they had to buy I had to go in the hospital and then be removed and biopsied and that gave me a new ending to the play uh, the the last scene, and I don't want to talk too much about it because hopefully somebody, people will get to see it. And uh, it's, 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 it's something that you definitely want to wait for the end for. <laughs> yeah, you want to wait for the end. But uh, I have six kids, but I only wrote in, uh, made two of them. So the, the kids are composites. We have three boys and three girls. It's like the Brady Bunch. And uh, but you can't have that many. Uh, actors, too many actors. So, you know, technically it wouldn't work. So I made them composites. And, uh, you know, so many theaters say no more than eight characters, no more than six characters. So you have to keep it to a certain level if you want to get it done. And uh, it is, again, I, I, I am a practical person. So it's written uh, to be easily staged and uh, it, it offers some really good roles. And I always, I feel very strongly about this. I write strong female characters. Uh, 
racially, it could be any family because this this stretches across boundaries. You could have an Asian family, you could have a black family, whatever doing it. Um, and it's it's the story of the journey. And every good play is is a journey story. Okay, yeah. every good play is a journey story, and uh, it's the journey from finding out and having certain expectations and certain expectations turned upside down and the little miracles that life sends you. Um, and we did, I wanted to do a reading and it was still plague time. So I set up a zoom reading and invited Daniel Guyton to the mm -hmm. zoom as well as some of my friends with South Baldwin community theater of which I'm the playwright in residence and uh, which is down in beautiful Alabama. And invited Daniel, and uh, we did the reading, and everybody loved the play. Okay, uh, they loved it so fat, much, in fact, that South Baldwin used it as their opening show, their first back in-person show. Okay, uh, which which was a, a thrill. And then we, we did it with merely writers and uh, many, many shout outs to Daniel Guyton. And he said, Oh, we need to do this. We need to do a reading of this with that group. And uh, I, it was, uh, it, it, it was a wonderful experience. Uh, we got standing ovations uh, not as many people saw it. And, and in fact, we have this local newspaper it, it, and you got to remember it's a beach town and it's a paper newspaper. That's the picture there. My son-in-law took that actually. Oh, and wow. um, we, they made it the cover, the entire cover of our local paper. And it's called the mullet wrapper. Great name. Great and and we got some wonderful publicity on it, and uh, it was uh, delightful. It was there, South Baldwin. There, I see there. See their little logos up there, and uh, it it was good. But I'm actually what I'm working on right now are rewrites. My computer goes everywhere with me. I, as I said, I'm on vacation, but I'm still doing my my 20 minutes. I can take 20 minutes out of the day. Um, of fun, fun, fun. <laughs> that, that is wonderful. I, I, and I like the the fact that it's so wonderful, but even you are continuing to rewrite it. Um, well, I, one of the things I didn't like, and it, it, it didn't work so badly with the uh, the reading, but in um, this is for all your creatives who are playwrights. I didn't like how long it took to transition between scenes. So what one of the, and this was suggested actually out of, with, out of merely writers, I've done some with the kids, the two kids talking to each other on the phone so that the other characters can do their scene change while they're having a phone call and discussing what's oh. going on with the parents. And so I think that's going to make smoother transitions. Oh. And I'm starting to send it out to the big wide world. And uh, awesome. I would, I'd like to see productions everywhere. This play, this play is not going any, I mean, it is not going to fade away. I don't think it's, so. I think this play has legs. Yeah. Uh, people, I, yeah. we had people sobbing, okay? Leaving the theater sobbing. And we had a lot of cancer survivors come. We had people who had lost family members to cancer. There. There is not, 
I don't think there's a family in this country that hasn't been touched by cancer. So, uh, and this is my journey, but it's the journey of a lot of people. Yeah, I think you're right. A hundred percent of everyone's got us got been affected. Um, I know. There is there is no doubt about it. And I was just thinking that I'm a member of the Dramatist Guild here in Atlanta, and I know the rep. And I don't know all the technicalities about how you get your work published, and you know, other people well, produce I it. And all that stuff. A place published, and I could probably get this one published, but I'm kind of not ready because once you get it published, then you lose control of it. Uh, yeah, I know. And I, yeah, you know, and and. I'm not finished with those rewrites. Uh, rewrites are sometimes tougher than writing the original story because sometimes the original story just flows out of you. Okay. It's like water, you know, for me, it just flows, but then you have to go and tighten it up and fix it and, 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 and make sure everything works and is consistent. And uh, sometimes yeah, that's my, tough. Yeah. My process is similar to yours where I think about the logistical challenges of the rewrite, like how is it transitioning from one thing? And I always start off with this weird presence, um, premise and i don't know if everyone does this but i always think about what can i get rid of first <laughs> yes yes and that's and that's tough because you think all your words are perfect oh that is so challenging just look at your own <laughs> work and say oh gosh well how no, much this of this can i get rid of oh it is tough but it's necessary you know to your point about tightening it and the flow and all of that 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 is helpful and i keep all the versions i Oh, I have all the versions. I have like point one, point two, point three. Yeah, um, I remember one play that I had produced, and I remember one of the actors said to me, "They said, wait a minute, this is version eight point five." And I was like, "Yes, (laughs) this is the version." And and there may be a version nine point (laughs) two. That's right. That's what it is. You know, I use the points as. I use the points as cosmetic changes, and the total front number as a wholesale change. So if so to get to eight, that means I made some eight wholesale changes along the way to do it. And, and that's okay. But one of the things I have discovered working with new playwrights or, you know, and with different groups and things is people are in love with their words. And, yeah. and they are like, it's like you're killing your children if you tell oh, them. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And uh, they also have a wonderful proclivity of writing these long, long, really monologues and they stick them in the middle of a scene. And it's like, no, you got to make this move, honey, or you're going to lose the audience. They'll be all drifting off to sleep in the second row. That's right. The monologues have to be built up. Like now the people, the audience has to be ready for the monologue. (laughs) I know, I know. And I use monologues, but I I have, I have seen this a good bit and it's like, you really want to, um, and and, and when you make it, make suggestions, they, they're like, you're killing my child with a hammer. Okay. And it's like, (laughs) I love my words. My words are all special and perfect. And I recommend for new playwrights, because I've seen this happen a lot too. Yes. Don't, don't direct or act in your own work. Just, um, just say no. Just say no. Okay. It, it, your play is like a baby that has grown up and is leaving the nest. 
Yes, I tell you, there is the story we were just talking about. I had a good friend who created this one woman show once. And we were like in this setting where we were getting together. We were meeting down at um, down in, in, um, at Panera Bread down in, in Piedmont. And so she gave up and she did this thing. And it was so phenomenal. But it was like seven or eight of us there meeting. And then everyone started to give her this feedback about, you know, do this, do that, do this, do that, do that, this. And then when she ultimately, she did it at one of those fringe fest kind of things that are here in Atlanta. And then when she did the actual thing, I was sitting in a room because I went to the, the, the actual thing. I was like, what is that story? That story is not the story that I heard. The first story, I, was like, I got up and I clapped because I thought it was so phenomenal. But the story that ultimately came out it's like she tried to incorporate 100% of everyone's feedback. And don't do that either. You can't do it. They no. Do story. You, then you lose who you are. It's somebody else's play. Yeah, you can't. And then who's playing? If you got 10 bits of feedback, <laughs> then it's not your thing anymore. And I was saying to myself, I was, I was so disappointed. I was like, oh, my gosh, what a great writer who got let everyone influence them to the point where they weren't themselves anymore. And, here's oh here's how I handle feedback, and I got some good feedback from early writers. I um, think of, you know I read it, and then I think about it in the shower. Okay, and some of it I just throw away, and some of it I incorporate. If like I said, the the, the when I when they suggested the same thing, you know, of of having kids talk, I said there's material there that. Um, it hasn't been expressed that I could express that way. You know, there's more of the story I can tell and without taking anything away or even really lengthening the play because they're, they're little scenettes, I guess you would say. So uh, uh, that's how I did that. I, I, I hope from this maybe we'll generate some people wanting to do productions of it, of the play. I, I think so. And that's where I was going with that comment about it has so much legs that 10 years from now, 15 years from now, this story is not going anywhere. <laughs> the cancer is not going to be eliminated as much as we would love for it to be. Um, it's not going to be eliminated. Going away. The same yeah. thing, the Alzheimer's play, it's, it's over 10 years old, but it gets productions every year. And yeah. it's because it's such a timely, painful, but timely subject. It, it and, really is. It's, yeah. it's so amazing to me, you know, when I hear stories where people don't really, you can tell, maybe it's just because me and you were involved in this so much, but I can tell like in the first five minutes what I'm listening to and what the voice is of the writer of it. And is yes. it some pain in there? Is, is there some pain? I can tell really fast. You know, Me too, I okay? Yeah, and, yes, and, I, and sometimes they'll do these plays that are like historical plays and things, and, and, and oftentimes they're good, but a lot of times they're detached. And I'm like, yes, why are you telling this story? You know, right. why, why are you telling this story? Um, you know, what does it mean to you? Because I, I think the best plays, they take something right from the heart of the playwright. They do. Um, you know, I had this this uh, teacher years ago. I was taking this class on screenplay writing, mm 
And so she had gone to LA and she'd done all of these pitch things, which I, I would never do. And she learned from some of these great people. And they said, well, you know, in the first page of the screenplay, you should know what the movie's about. And you can't necessarily do that in a play, a theater play, but sooner than later, you gotta let people know what they're in for. They gotta give some kind of energy really quick about what it is. Every play needs to, you do. You have to have that first play, first page. In the first page of the cancer play, they're in the hospital waiting, and the doctor comes in and tells her she has cancer. People and know what they're watching. They know exactly what they're listening to as soon as they see that. They know, they're like, right. I know what okay. the play is about. Yes. You know, I had a colonoscopy. I think I've got polyps. He comes in and says, ah, ah, guess what? You have cancer. Yeah, and I always yeah. thought they would be a little more tender about it, but they're not. That's, <laughs> they right. just, that's, how, that's how life is, right? Like I when know. stuff happens, it happens. You know well, what's happening. When, when you found out you had MS, how did it go down? Did the doctor just say, well, the tests have come back and you've got MS? And it was bam, because <laughs> you went from one minute to not knowing a thing, then the next minute you're knowing a thing, and it transforms everything about your life in a minute. Just changes it directly. I really got a great sense as to um, Laura Fitzenmeyer and what she's up to. She is such an amazing uh, creator, and her, her play, Cancer Painting My Ass, is one of the best plays I've listened to in the last year or so. And I've listened to lots of great ones. And it's just been wonderful to have her on and to, to really listen about her creative process. So if you're out there and you've got a creative process, because you do, you got to think about what am I doing now? Most recently on the Creativity Cocktail, we celebrated our second year of doing this podcast. And what I thought was so wonderful about that is that we've had an influence on lots of people's lives, including my own. And hopefully, if you're listening to us, you're saying to yourself, I got 20 minutes, like Laura mentioned, to just start down my, my creative path. Because here's the truth. You got 20 minutes to do anything. You got 20 minutes. Like right now, if there's a TV show on Netflix or on your cable, if you still have one of those, you got 20 minutes. And, and even if the 20 minutes is not, let me start to write my opus, but let me start to write anything. And for those of you who are in different groups and different generation groups, that might just be writing it down on, on um, your phone versus writing it down on some software or some paper or something. But just start today. I, I was listening to someone recently share that there are more writers now than there are less writers. We actually have more writers in the world than are less because everybody's a writer. So even if you're writing for work, your day work, or you're writing for a pursuit that you're doing outside of work, you're doing that writing all of the time. So it's been great to have Laura on. Hopefully we'll get her back on. Um, and so this conversation has been great. She's given you lots of guidance in regards to how you can really support and how you can grow as a creator and how you can really drive what creativity looks like for you in, in life.
Uh, Laura Fitzenmeyer, Cancer's a Pain in My Ass. It was a fantastic show. It was wonderful. And so with that being said, Creativity Cocktail is here. Please subscribe. And sometimes you hear all people saying to subscribe because YouTube cares about that. That's for sure. But it also creates a lot of it creates a lot of energy in regards to how we can continue hey. the message. Hey, look who's back. Hey. I, know, I, I don't know what happened. The screen just went black. It <laughs> no took word. me too bad, you know, we're back. What, what happened, Laura, is that our conversation was so hot. It just <laughs> burned up the computer. <laughs> That's right. It was like, whoa, I can't handle it. The energy is too much. I can't. Anyway, but, but I got you back. I got you back. That's right. Um, I know. Uh, quick question I'm here. Carried on without me. Yes, yes. Quick question here. Okay. And this is for the, this is really a question for the audience. So there's someone out there who's like, I love Laura. She is phenomenal. Her story is beautiful, but I'm struggling. I don't know whether I should keep going with my creative journey or whether I should start one. And you're having a conversation with that person. Winston's not here. It's just you and them. And you're going to give them some guidance. What is a couple of things you tell that person? Okay. Uh, the first thing I would tell them is go for it. Um, if you do, it's a win-win. What's the bad outcome? You don't become famous. So what? You weren't famous before. And you have touched on something that obviously you need to touch on to have a full and happy life. If if you write poetry and you are the only person who ever gets to read that poetry, that's okay. I want you to think of some of the poets uh, of the past who had no fame in their life, who had no um, no success at all. The same with writers and painters. Uh, there's many of them. Do it and, and do it for you. Don't do it for anybody else and do it the way you want to do it. That's beautiful. I, I think that when we do the edited version of this, Laura, we, that might be in the front of our conversation. Because <laughs> that, that, that is so important. Because so many times we do things for other people, your creativity above and beyond anything else that happens is for you. Yes. Okay. If you it do it for you. for you, and this is the thing, and if you do it for you, then it affects others. Yeah, and it will it, it, it will go out to the world. It will. That's if you right. try to write to please other people or paint to please other people, it's not. It, it, it's, it's not the real you. This is an opportunity. This is your opportunity to let yourself be on the on the canvas, on on whatever mode you choose, on the piano keyboard, all right, and, and do it for that joy. You know, you don't get that, you know, joy is a fleeting thing, and you should take any opportunity you have to, to create it That's right. for yourself. Laura, this has been so awesome. I was gonna say something else, but I was like, let's just leave it there. Um, that is wonderful. 